0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the very first episode of Let's Talk. Today, we are going to talk about decolonizing American curriculum and purposeful reading about anti-racism with special guest Sophia Kwan. Sophia is a rising sophomore at Columbia University, majoring in creative writing and English. She's a dear friend of mine, and I can truly say that she's one of the reasons why I believe that we can learn just as much from our peers as we do from our teachers. Welcome, Sophia.
1: Hi! Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on this podcast and I'm so excited to be talking about the topics we're going to discuss today. I think these are really important.
0: To begin our conversation, I'd like to introduce the concept of windows and mirrors in the content we learn in school. A window being a resource that offers you a view into someone else's experience, while a mirror is a story that reflects your own culture and helps you build your identity. Ideally, students should have a balance of windows and mirrors in their education. Sophia, where have you seen windows and mirrors in school? And can you speak to the importance of having mirrors in your education?
1: Like you said, I think that every student kind of needs that healthy balance of windows and mirrors of learning about other people's perspectives and developing empathy and an understanding for that perspective. And then also feeling validated in education and seeing being able to kind of learn about yourself and enhance your understanding of your identity and of your experiences. And I think that I mean, the fundamental problem of education or one of the fundamental problems of education that people have talked a lot about is just a lack of mirrors for students of color. And so, I mean, I think growing up, you know, going through an education system, going to predominantly white schools, I never really felt like my experience as an Asian woman, as an Asian American was being reflected in the the education that I was receiving. So particularly when we think about like humanities curriculum, so like English and history, When I think about the canons of literature that we were kind of consuming, I never really saw people who would have looked like me, people who had similar experiences to me. We read one Asian author, I think in my junior year, and we read only one chapter of her. And otherwise, we were just reading like a lot of Shakespeare, a lot of Jane Austen, a lot of these really big canonical kind of Western European white authors. And then history, it's kind of the same thing. You're learning history from a very white Western perspective. And so anyone else is kind of a bit player and is pretty much marginalized in the narrative. And so you start to kind of feel as a student of color that you're not as important and you don't get to see yourself validated in what you're learning And so you don't really have a connection to your identity and you don't understand the full picture and the people around you, whether they're white or whether they're students of color, nobody is getting the full picture of education that they deserve and that they need to have in order to understand the world around them.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that also the concept of windows and mirrors really helps us reflect on the things that we lack in our education and like you said, how we View ourselves, especially in predominantly white environments. So, when there aren't a lot of mirrors in education that you actually feel like you're being represented truly, a lot of students feel like they have to fight in order to make sure that the way that they want to be seen or the way that they portray their identity is actually seen correctly. I kind of refer to those moments where your identity is shown in a skewed way as a dirty mirror in some regards. So, like students, especially people of color, when they're in the classroom setting, they feel like they have to be the ones responsible for cleaning that mirror and making sure that the way that they see their identity it rings true in the classroom. And I think that that's something that's really hard, especially when you're in a position where the teacher is the one that's supposed to be telling you the truth.
1: And I feel like we in education, there are so many dirty mirrors. But then there's also, I mean, one mirror isn't enough to kind of capture an entire Identities experience and I think that what you were kind of talking about it is an experience that happens a lot in education Which is where a student is expected to be the mirror and that's just I mean That's an unfair burden put on them and it's an incomplete picture I think that a lot of the problem with education is sometimes people will say okay We'll put like one, you know, we'll put like one black author We'll put one Asian author and then maybe we'll read just like a little bit of them and then like we'll go on to like the more kind of mainstream Western canon and so, like, like, that's not enough either. You need to be able to kind of completely tr- transform the education system so that it's made up of all of these different windows and mirrors as opposed to kind of just a couple of windows into the minority experience and then that's, like, it.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like it's not an open-close issue, which I feel like a lot of the time we expect our education to be so linear, but I think that that's just not something that's true, especially when you're exploring complicated topics like identity, one thing I was thinking about is how our perception of history and culture is largely shaped by the education we received during our formative years, right? And that being said, the concept of unlearning has been introduced in the media. And essentially, this concept acknowledges that many Americans have been taught a skewed version of history that often brushes over BIPOC groups and presenting historical events that have resulted in systemic issues as open-closed issues. So the question I have for you is, do you see unlearning as an individual responsibility? And what are some ways for us to acknowledge the content that we should consciously
1: unlearn? Yeah, I mean, I think that unlearning is one of those things that is both an individual and a systemic responsibility, right? The fact that people have to unlearn certain content is a product of the education system failing to kind of give a bigger picture. And so the individual has to kind of go and correct that. And so, obviously, it shouldn't fall upon the individual after they've received an education that is supposed to, like, be giving them an understanding of the world. It shouldn't be your obligation or burden in a perfect world to have to go and educate yourself again and unlearn a lot of things. But, I mean, I think that it is the personal responsibility, especially for white people and especially for privileged people, to kind of critically examine you know, what were all these systems that were kind of contributing to how I see the world, and how have they given me these biases, and how have they given me these incomplete or false narratives of, of history, of current events, right, of literature, of arts and culture, etc. How have they given me this kind of false or incomplete narrative, and now I have to go correct that, because at the end of the day, you know, each your personal actions impact everybody around you, and so you taking in kind of this false version of history is going to impact everyone around you because you have these beliefs. I think that in general, in education, we tend to shy away from narratives that are messy. So when we think about like the origin of the United States and we think about the founding of this country, a lot of people get really nervous when we start challenging like this really glorified narrative of America as like, oh, we were heroes and we came, we fought for freedom, blah, 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 blah. Like America is fundamentally a settler colonialist project. But when people hear that, they're like, oh my God, do you hate America? And it's like, no. And it's like the same thing when we talk about like statues of, of historical figures, when you talk about like the fact that George Washington owned slaves, people are like, oh, you hate George Washington now? And it's like, you have to be able to grapple with the nuances of historical figures. Why do they have to be glorified and idolized in this way? Why can't we understand that maybe they, that they were incredibly important, but that they also did incredibly problematic things. And those problematic actions, you know, just continue to amplify throughout history, and so we can't, you know, we can't separate that. So I think a lot of the unlearning is really relearning in terms of and really being able to kind of accept the messiness of history in all of its kind of huge. Com- all of it's all this huge completion, as opposed to like the nice narrative that we like to tell ourselves. I think it is a personal and a systemic responsibility, and I think especially for white people who are starting to get into anti-racist work, or for everyone, really, it's really important for us to be able to seek out resources to kind of re-educate ourselves. Because I think a point that's being made in a lot of the anti-racist discussion right now, and I think it's a really great one, is that it is not the responsibility of the oppressed or marginalized to educate the privileged. There are all these resources out there, and now we have the internet. Like, there's so many resources at your disposal, so you can just go and find them.
0: Yeah, exactly. I really love the way that you talked about these conversations being messy and how people shy away from them because they are really messy conversations. One of the key points of the podcast and something that I was hoping to do with having these conversations is lean into this discomfort that we commonly kind of brush across. So another topic that has been on my mind is the complicated nature of the American education system. Public schools, private schools, charter schools, etc., They all have different expectations of the content that teachers are supposed to teach their students. Not to mention the constraints of AP and IB curriculums. So I was wondering what observations you have made throughout your schooling about what you've been taught and how that has affected your perception of certain issues, um, subjects, etc.
1: One of the things I've been thinking about a lot, um, and you mentioned like the AP and IB curriculums, and I don't know anything about IB, I I never did it, but I've been thinking a lot about the AP curriculum and the more I think about it, the more problematic it just becomes to me and I've always kind of taken issue with it. But, you know, when you look at the AP curriculum, you're looking at a curriculum that, A, is incredibly, you know, Western-centric and that's the issue with a lot of the educational curriculums we have is that it's dominated by the white Western perspective. And so even when you have minorities being incredibly important, they're still kind of brushed to the side. Like I remember in AP U.S. history you would talk about like the Japanese internment camps for like the paragraph. And it would be like, Oh yeah, they were really bad. And there was a court case and yada, 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 yada. It's so, and it's so difficult to be able to convey the brutalities of history in a way that does them justice, because you all, you do like I understand history teachers have schedules, you have to, you have to get through the material. So it's incredibly difficult, I understand to kind of convey the brutalities of history, but I think we have to try and do a better job. And so I think that we need to make history more personal as opposed to kind of this linear narrative of facts that ultimately kind of privilege again, the white Western perspective. And we're not thinking about all of these other kind of rich histories that are happening within the United States, of black history within the United States, of Asian history within the United States. And also like on a global perspective, like I think that when I was younger, I probably learned about the Renaissance like three times. And I learned about like ancient Rome, right? Ancient Greece. But I don't think I ever learned about like African civilizations, like Asian civilizations. And I, I kind of think about that. And I'm like, why? Like, like, what was the reason that certain civilizations are so prioritized in education? But anyway, to kind of go back to what I was talking about with AP, I think the AP curriculum is just incredibly stifling. And it's it's exacerbating the problems that we already have in educational curriculums, which is that where you know, we have all this material you have to get through. And then now you have a pressure to take a test. So now you have standardized testing literally coming in and infiltrating the classroom experience. So not even just like, oh, like taking a test. You're, it's infiltrating and influencing how you deliver and teach content. And that content is shaped by the College Board, which is like a nonprofit, but to me, it's like a corporation. So it's being shaped by the College Board, and it's a white Western perspective I mean, I think American history is so important, but I think the way that we've taught it is just so whitewashed. And, you know, the fact that we didn't learn in history about the fact that there's a loophole in the 13th Amendment that has kind of led to to prison labor and slavery in prisons, I think that's, like, ridiculous. I mean, I think that everyone, the fact that we didn't learn about that is kind of crazy. And then I learned about that from other sources, like from my own kind of research. I mean, I just don't understand why it's not taught. And it's so important for understanding You know prisons and policing in America for understanding the prison abolition movement for understanding, you know This movement to defund the police and I mean this movement hasn't isn't just a modern thing You can look back at Angela Davis and she's been writing like our prisons obsolete for like decades These kind of issues that we kind of relegate to oh current events These are historical issues and current events is in and of itself is a historical issue because everything in history is building up to current events and I think that a lot of history teachers love to say like, oh, history is so important because, you know, we have to understand the past so that we can understand the present and like shape our future, blah, 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 right? Like a lot of history teachers love to say that. And I don't actually see that being applied in history curriculums. I don't see connections being made between what has happened in the past and what is happening in the present. We're not drawing those connections. We're not, draw- like, especially when it comes to race relations in this country, we're not drawing the connections of how, you know, Decades and centuries of, of of oppression and racial conflict have led up to everything that we're experiencing in the moment right now Yeah,
0: and I, I love that point because a lot of time when we're in the classroom, especially um, When we use the example of history classrooms, right? We're kind of a race against time to get through thousands of years of history and events and it always makes me wonder like who's choosing what's worthwhile learning because so many things are happening, especially in classes that are dubbed as world history How can you choose what events are worthwhile for students to learn? And why is that world history, but these events aren't? And I think that the idea of racing against time to get through all of this content, and earlier uh, we were talking about how the last unit in history classes are typically modern history. Like, How are the events that happened in the past shaping today? And I remember you so eloquently said that we end up skipping that part, we end up not getting to today and by not getting to today we don't know those connections and students really miss out on what could arguably be the most important part of history that they need to understand in order to be contributing members of society and
1: socially responsible humans. Because I think that students are, like, teenagers are incredibly intellectually curious, actually. Like, I see on Instagram people sharing, like, anti-racist reading lists, like, articles. Like, people want to read these because they think it's important. So it's the job of educators to say, like, this is important. Because you have so many white students right now who are thinking that so much of history is just irrelevant to them. So... I mean, it's really, it's the responsibility of educators to be like, this is something that I want to prioritize, and I need to integrate it into my history curriculums. Yeah, and I think that
0: going back and making those connections as you go along in the curriculum actually leads to students thinking about these things in a more concrete manner, in a way that they're actually going to remember it and be able to make these connections on their own later. So I think that's actually a more sustainable way of teaching history in some regards as well. But also to be clear, Sophia and I do not have our degrees in education. So clearly, this is just our own hot take. I don't
1: know all the research in education, but it is some, I do think that like personal experiences from students going through education right now are incredibly valuable because I mean, we're experiencing education right now in the moment. So I think to a degree, we do know if how effective it was or not.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's just very interesting to see what are these holes in our learning and our understanding and. It's hard to identify. And I think that's why this whole concept of unlearning and relearning is a very personal journey that will take a lot of time as well.
1: The more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. So the more you know, the more you don't know. Right. But yeah, that brings us to
0: another point. So decolonizing the American curriculum is not just limited to history, as many assume or focus on. English and literature classes also have a lot of potential to incorporate diverse authors that could revolutionize how students learn and see themselves. Let's talk about um, how BIPOC authors
1: that we were introduced to in school and note when we were exposed to such authors. In junior year, I think is when they tried to start doing a little better. So I remember we read like Frederick Douglass and we read Maxine Horn Kingston, but we only read a chapter of her we read The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. So, yeah, that was like when I started saying, seeing, like, okay, these are some attempts at integrating some authors of color. And the teacher that we had talked a lot about, okay, what are kind of the complications and nuances of being an American? And I think that's an incredibly kind of worthy literary subject <clears throat> to, to, to discuss and dissect. So, I think that's why it was a little bit more successful. But, I mean, I think these books were still given a lot of short shrift. And I think. Like, I think the problem is just generally, like, you can include some books by authors of color, but I think that we have to kind of think more radically and kind of question the pedagogies that are informing Western education and informing the can- the literary canons that we're valorizing, right? There is kind of an idea, generally, in the West that there are certain books that, like, every student has to read. You, you have, like, To Kill a Mockingbird, and then, like later, like Shakespeare is always kind of part of the Western canon. Everyone thinks you should read Shakespeare. Like Jane Austen is part of the Western canon. Usually, have Homer part of the Western canon. And it's kind of like why, like why is this the foundation of literature that we need to read? I'm not disagreeing that these are great books and that you know students should read them, right? But we ha- we emphasize these books so much, and when you pick a book, you're not picking another book. So you have to think really critically about. Why this one over this one? And why is the Western canon the one that is so essential for every student to read? What's great about English and about literature curriculums is that in a way you have more flexibility than history curriculums, because history, you have to kind of go through the facts and go through narratives and you have to kind of go somewhat chronologically, right? You have to like get through material. With English, it's a lot more about skill sets. It's a lot more about literary analysis and critical thinking, right? Critical reading, right? And so you can kind of do that with anything. So the the question then becomes, okay, how am I going to teach these skill sets? And what kind of bigger, larger ideologies and themes do I want to incorporate in the curriculum? So you have all these opportunities to incorporate Black and Indigenous authors, to incorporate Asian authors, to incorporate Latina authors, right? You have all these opportunities to incorporate these authors and still kind of teach critical thinking skills, but now be able to incorporate more diverse themes, ideologies, kind of content. And I think we just have to undermine the idea that there is a certain canon of literature that students need to know. Like at Columbia, where I go now, Columbia is so informed by that idea that there is a canon of literature that you need to know. We literally have classes that like every freshman is not required to take where it's like you have to read Homer and you have to read Plato and you have to read you have to read Austin, you have to read Wolf, right? Like that is literally there's an idea that every Columbia student needs to have read these books. And it's kind of like, okay, these are great books and I think you can discuss them in really interesting ways. And I do think that you can discuss them in ways that can be resonant for students of color. But you have to think about why do I think these books are so important? What what is the kind of the point of making every student read them? Is there an actual specific reason that I want to incorporate this book or is it because I think it just should be taught? And if that if the latter is the answer then I think you need to go back and say okay, what are other books that can do this job that are underrepresented in the literary canon and in kind of our English curriculum? Mm-hmm. So, I think we just need to really completely rethink the pedagogies that are informing our education system and are informing how we select books and how we're teaching them.
0: I feel like when, in high school, when we were afforded the opportunity to read a book by some, a person of color, that book actually didn't necessarily come up a lot in our AP exams later on. And yeah. it kind of felt like we were like doing a favor or like going out of our way to read this book by a person of color, but it wouldn't benefit us later down the road. Like that was kind of like the mentality or the feeling attached to reading these books by people of color. And I just think that's really interesting because I think um, for the the literature exam too, I believe there's a list of books that you could write about. Oh
1: oh my God, I remember that.
0: And that list of books, if it has any author of color on it, it's a, a probably amount that I could count on one hand. Like I- I
1: remember I used to scan the list and see the others of color. And I would just like, <clears throat> I would have those bases covered because then I could talk about like the topics that I wanted to talk about, which were like race and feminism. And Yeah, know.
0: exactly. And I think that's, I think just like very interesting. I honestly, like I can't say, like I don't know where the standard came from. And I think that's a really interesting uh, avenue to take and kind of like observe that. But in a country where there's no- a homogeneous population there are so many different people that identify as american and validly so um how do you decide what voices get to be heard and what characters get to be shown in an education that everyone's expected to have
1: conversations too about like what makes something literary fiction it's such a nebulous category like what makes something literary and which is kind of basically implying it's superior like everyone should read it it's deep how do we decide that right how do we decide it And I mean, I think the thing is, is that a lot of these classics in the canon are, again, really great works. And I think sometimes you have like you teach it in a way that is really resonant. Like that's what I was kind of saying before. But you have to kind of think really critically about that. So like you could teach the Iliad by Homer and you could look at it as a critique of war and violence and masculinity. And when I read the Iliad in Columbia, that was what we talked about a lot. We talked about how is Homer actually critiquing war and critiquing you know, standards of masculinity, of male violence, of of being a male warrior, right? You can have those conversations. War is kind of that big topic that is applicable to everything and relates to colonialism and imperialism, like the military industrial complex, right? So you can look at these books and find ways to kind of incorporate it into modern discussions about socio-political issues, but you have to teach them the right way. If you get so fixated on like the epic simile and like, I love epic similes, like great for them. But if you get too fixated on it, you start to miss the bigger picture. So I think that even if, you know, educators and administrators want to incorporate, you know, books from that canon, I'm not saying eradicate all the books like that you have in your curriculum, but then, The ones that you're keeping, think about, okay, why am I keeping it? What am I teaching? How can we frame this to be the most kind of productive, interesting, critical, analytical dialogue that we can have about this book?
0: Yeah. And I also encourage students, especially people of color in the classroom, to challenge these books, bring up these issues. I remember in our freshman year of high school, we read Life of Pi in the summer And Life of Pi is about an Indian boy, but it's written by a white man. And that was one point that I brought up. I was like, what makes this person skilled to have written a whole book from the perspective of an Indian boy and about his life and his family? And don't get me wrong, I love Life of Pi. My family loves Life of Pi. And we actually, in fact, are from the state in India, that Life of Pi takes place in. And we do think that it's a great book and the movie that they ended <laughs> up making about it was beautiful. It explored religion. The kid was really, truly having a journey and discovering himself. But I was still interested. I was like, I wonder why this person chose to write this book from this perspective. What made that point perspective valid? And I'm not saying that the, it isn't, but challenge that. I think that an American... Culture, especially in education, there's a culture where we're not expected to question what we learn. We take it just as it's given to us and we just accept it. We don't question the source where it comes from, why it's being taught to us. And I think that the idea that questioning something is disrespectful is really harmful to learning. And I think that the best way to really fully comprehend an idea or have a good conversation about something is to ask questions and in most cases teachers will love to answer it and if they don't know the answer that's a journey in itself and something to think about too
1: yeah like education is not supposed to be indoctrination like the whole point of education really because if you think about it people will always talk about why do i need to need to know about this it's not relevant in my life education is relevant really because you're learning certain skills, you're learning critical thinking, and you're learning critical analysis, and then you're learning how to put that into writing, right? And so we need to be able to teach students to form their own opinions, really, but and, but then also to be able to kind of critically engage with any kind of text, whether it's like a news article, whether it's a movie, you know, whether it's a book that they're reading, etc., to engage with any text these terms that we teach in English classes of like theme, and then you teach like how to write a thesis statement. Like they seem so boring, but they're really important because ultimately they're about saying, what is this saying? And then what am I saying about what this is saying? That's incredibly important. We have to be able to engage with all of the texts and media and, and writing that's around us because that informs us. And so we have to be able to challenge it if it's presenting something problematic. And so that's ultimately what English Is supposed to do as a class. And so we need to kind of lean into that side of English more. Yeah, exactly.
0: And Sophia mentioned her love of English. That leads us to our last question, which is what anti-racism reading have you been doing?
1: Yes. So I read, one of the first books that I read was Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper, which I highly recommend. So Brittany Cooper is a Black woman um, she writes a lot about Black feminism. She reminds me a lot of Roxane Gay because she really kind of deals in the intersection between race and gender, you know, feminism and and blackness. And so, she, and she writes in a way that's both incredibly sharp and intellectual, but also really conversational. And then I've also been trying to read a lot of theory. So I've been I read a lot of Angela Davis. I read Our Prisons Obsolete. I'm reading Malcolm X's autobiography. So I want to read Carceral Capitalism by Jackie Wang. So that's a lot of like theory. One of the things that also I want to bring attention to is that you should go out and find books by Black authors that don't necessarily have to do with anti-racism, but are just look interesting to you. So if you're a fantasy reader, there are so many Black fantasy authors. I mean, you can like find like Octavia Butler, N.K. Jemison. I think that integrating Black authors into any of your reading is incredibly important. It doesn't just have to be anti-racism. The publishing industry and readers just need to do a better job of amplifying Black voices.
0: Although both of us are avid readers and we love to read, it is to be acknowledged. Since for some people, it's not your cup of tea, but there are so many other avenues that you can also consume anti-racism knowledge in different ways.
1: You know, this is a very active, consuming activity, and I think that people have to be ready to to be in that mindset where they're like, I am learn- I am unlearning and relearning. I'm doing this radical process of transformation. You know, it, it's difficult work. So I think people have to be ready for that. Yeah, exactly.
0: Thank you so much for speaking with me today, Sophia. Our information will be linked on our Instagram at Let's Talk with Kirti. And we will be uploading a new podcast every Friday that will feature a different special guest each week to tackle another important conversation. We brought up a lot of different points today, none of them necessarily being a solution to fix the skewed American curriculum countless students learn from. However, there is something to be said about identifying areas in your own learning that could be further investigated. It's a process. Listen, question, and learn. And with that being said, thank you for listening to the first ever episode of Let's Talk.